Welcome to the vineyard. It is good for us to be here today. Man, I, I was sitting over there listening to Pastor Isaac say, and we got this going on, and we got this going on, and we got this. And I was so tired, I was thinking, man, I'm going to take the week off. If we got all that stuff going on, it's wearing me out. But here's the deal. You don't go to everything. But one of the things that you're seeing is we've got something for just about everybody. And there's a place for you to plug in. There's a place for you to get connected. There is a place for you to belong. There is a place for you to find community. And it's really, really important that that happens in your life. We don't want to just be a church where people show up and go through the motions and check off that they went to church and, um, and, and that's all there is to it. We are not trying to put on a show. We honestly want people to come in. We want you to forget about what happened yesterday, maybe on your way to church. We want you to forget about what's going to come up on tomorrow. And we want you to just stop and be in the presence of God. Because I believe wholeheartedly that God has something that He wants to say to each and every one of us. And as we come in here, if we come in here with our hearts set on the idea that there is a nugget, there is a truth, there is a challenge, that there is an action point for every one of us, we will have the opportunity to leave here different people than we are. Your action point might be come up here and get prayed for. Your action point might be come up here and surrender yourself to Jesus. Your action point might be stop fooling yourself and hear what God has to say to you and let go of it. We're in this thing called vice, and uh, the idea is that, you know, Paul said that, uh, um, that uh, we need to lay off everything that hinders us and we need to, uh, to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. And so we recognize that there, is things, uh, there are things that just weigh us down as we go through life. And there are things, sins that we commit, that tangle up our feet and keep us from being in the presence of God. But remember, Paul also said that all things are free to me, but not all things are good for me. And so the tagline here is, just because I can doesn't mean I should. And I want to share with you in, the, in, in everything that I'm going to unload here this morning that just because I can doesn't mean I should, but also it doesn't mean I shouldn't. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about sin. You shouldn't do that. Okay? But what I'm talking about is there are some things out there that, that maybe um, you can carry and you can have a good relationship with that I can't. Last week we talked about alcohol. Okay? But let's, let's get something a little more um, kind of in our hearts and in our faces this morning. We're going to kind of be, we're going to be up against it today. So just kind of set your heart. Oh no, he's going to say some things to me. I, I'm there, okay? I am there. Just know that I'm coming at you, all right? But I'm coming at me too. We live in a world where everybody wants everything. That that's our humanity. That more is better. Bigger is better. And, and, and all we want is just more, 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 more. I want it all. In 1989, Queen came out with a song that absolutely depicts our humanity. That, that when I leave, when I graduated Bible college, when I, when I left home, my parents had a, I don't know, a modest 1,700 square foot home. But I was looking for a home. I thought I'm supposed to start where I left off with them. And I didn't want to live in a little trailer house. And I didn't want to live in an apartment. I, didn't, I thought I should be able to. See, we want it all and we want it now. Check out this clip. Listen, all you people. Come gather around. I gotta get me a What I know is mine. People, do you hear me? 
say, I mean, listen, that's just a truth. That's all it is. All they're doing is spitting out a truth. You say, man, I didn't expect to see Queen in church today. Listen, I'm not telling you to support Queen. I'm just telling you that they sang a truth. I want it all. And that's our culture. That is who we are. I'm not saying like, man, you're kind of picking on all the church people. I'm talking about from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the North border to the South border, a couple of islands off there. I'm just saying that we are a people that we want everything. And let's just be honest, there's drive-through windows everywhere, so we want it now. We don't want to wait. We don't want to save up. We don't want to get long-term goals. We want a long-term goal that's maybe like 20 minutes out there. You know, not 20 years out there. And so I want to challenge some of that today. Um, I went to a movie here not too long ago called Crazy Rich Asians. And I'm not telling you to go see it, and I'm not telling you not to go see it, okay? I'm just telling you I went and saw it, okay? And, and I, I, we're watching that, and we're thinking, who lives like this? this I would have died to give my daughter a wedding like in the middle of that movie and it was a movie and I was crying and it was just my wife's looking at me like what is with you and it's like I'm 58 now I'm I cry at everything it's like she put her foot in the water and I was like oh man it's so beautiful my wife's like are people watching the pastor from the vineyard cry at the movie it's magnificent. But man, we run out of that movie and we're like, man, if I could live like that, if I could live in that house, if I could go to that country, if I could do this, if I could do that. And it's like, we've got this idea that we want it all and we want it now. This, this sermon series, when I was thinking about what are the vices in our lives and how everything's free to us, but not everything's good for us, my mind went to Miami Vice, the idea of vice. And we've got vices in our lives, okay? And so it's not always sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's not always that. There are some other vices in our lives, and I want to talk about that one, today, or one of these today. But the whole show, My Me Vice, it was all about opulence. It was all about excess, okay? And opulence is defined as wealth, riches, or affluence. Abundance as of resources or goods, it means plenty. And what did we see, if, if you're familiar with that show at all, what did we see Friday nights um, starting in uh, 1984, uh, I think is when it was, and what did we see? We saw, man, fast supercars. Supercars usually have the motor in the back, and we're talking Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and we're thinking, oh man, if I had one of those. You know, you just drive around in it for a couple of minutes, and then you put it in the garage, and then you have to go to work. But we, we think that we would live in the car and drive around, it would be awesome. And they had these super yachts and they had these supermodel girlfriends and, and, and just everything that they were doing was above and beyond. They were partying every night of the week and, and you watch this and you think, man, who lives like this? And nobody has a job, a real job, except the two main characters. And it's like, that alone tells you it's fake. You gotta have a job. Sooner or later, you're gonna have to have some work. But this, this show was all about the extreme life that everybody thinks will make them happy, but listen to me, that nobody actually lives. Nobody actually lives partying every single night of the week for the rest of their life. Nobody actually lives that. Sooner or later, even, even some of these inheritance babies or whatever you call them, you know, they're born with a silver spoon in their mouth or whatever that is. Sooner or later, they have to manage stuff. Pretty soon, they're responsible. Pretty soon, they have to do stuff. I was thinking about that, and I thought, man, we all want Bill Gates' money, but we don't want to do what Bill Gates did to get it. We want Bill Gates' empire, but we only want to work a part-time job. See? 
You know how I know that? Because I keep seeing stuff on social media. Man, you know, what's this stuff? In Europe, they get a whole month off in the summertime, you know, and then and, and they get like 50 weeks off if they have a baby, and they get like, you know, years off if their kids graduate from kindergarten. And, I mean, it's just kind of, I'm being stupid, but it gets kind of ridiculous. It's like nobody says, wow, Bill Gates was working 80, 90, and 100 hours of work because he's a workaholic. And he earned all this and put it together that he developed all this and he only slept two hours here, got up and worked two hours there, just like Steve Jobs, okay? Built the Apple empire. And nobody wants to put that time in, but everybody wants their wealth. And I was thinking about that in relationship to my own life and I just reminded myself, lazy people don't get rich. Lazy people don't get rich rich and rich people are often workaholics and they don't have time for lazy people now workaholism and lazy are two extreme ends of the spectrum okay somewhere in the middle is healthy lazy ends up with nothing and is is incredibly detrimental to family life workaholism ends up with more that you don't get to enjoy, but ends up incredibly detrimental to workaholism. I mean, excuse me, to the family. It ends up, you end up missing out on, on things that you should do, and over here you don't get to do things that might be nice to do. But they both end up with the same issues in life. And so we want to understand that there is a radical middle ground. Rich people are not automatically going to hell because they're rich. And somehow we get this in our mind. But the flip side of that is, what are we doing with it? Are we living the life that Jesus meant for us to live? And I'll tell you what, I do not believe that Christian people are supposed to all live like Mother Teresa. I don't believe that. You know I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. But I do believe, and you're going to see in the scriptures here, that God wants you to enjoy the life that he's given you. He wants you to enjoy your job. Man, if you can enjoy your job, you'll never work a day in your life, somebody said. And I'm going to tell you, I can kind of end up with ulcers in my stomach, but at the same time, I love my calling. I love it when somebody's life gets affected for Jesus. And it's not hard for me to get up in the morning. Scripture I want to look at because Jesus is preaching one time. And listen, I'm going to set this up a little bit. He's preaching to thousands. The Scripture says he's preaching to many thousands. One time when Jesus was preaching to many thousands, he looked out and saw these thousands and he said, you know what, I better talk to my disciples. And when he says disciples, I'm not talking 12. We know there was at least 120. We don't know how many before the whole you know, crucifixion story, the passion of the Christ begins. But we know there were a lot more than 12. Okay, Biblically speaking, we know there's a lot more than 12. But anyway, he's going to talk to his disciples. So he decides he's going to start doing this. And all of a sudden, he is accosted by a man with a heart problem. And we can see it right away. Get yourself immersed in this story. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is preaching to many thousands, talks to his disciples, and all of a sudden it says, so somebody in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <coughs> and Jesus replied, man, remember last week when his mom asked him to do something, he said, woman, now he's saying, man, okay, he says, man, who appointed me to be a judge and arbiter between you? 
Then he said to them, the disciples, all of the people there, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He didn't say be on your guard against money. He didn't say be careful of your greed for money. He said all kinds of greed. So I'm going to get back into this passage in a split second here, but listen to me. You can be greedy for power. You can be greedy for attention. You can be a greedy whiner. You can be greedy for um, money. You can be greedy for bigger houses. You can be greedy for more motorcycles. You can be greedy for more dogs. You can be greedy to be the most important person. There are, Jesus said, all kinds of greediness that you can be greedy for. And Jesus says, you need to be on guard. You want, you want me to tell you how you can tell real quick if you're, if you're struggling with greediness? When that person that you're working next to got a raise, did you get jealous all of a sudden? Or did you get happy for them? See, it, it, it's beginning to reflect something in here. If they got a position that both of you were applying for, were you happy for them? Or did you begin to trash them around the cubicle? That's a reflection of what's going on inside here. See? When everybody else is the problem and you're not willing to look at yourself, it's a heart issue. This man, hey teacher, has a heart issue. And he needs to bring it up to Jesus. Okay? So Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in, abundant, in, an, in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain. And then, he said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And Jesus, here's the point. You want to know what the parable, the point of the parable is? Here's the point of the parable. This is how it will be with whoever stores up for things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And so understand that Jesus didn't say, This is how it's going to be towards rich people. If you have a lot of stuff and you're rich, God's going to take you, somebody else is going to get your stuff, and you're not going to heaven. It does not say that. It says this is how it will be for people who have a lot. And remember, I'm not talking about your money. I want you to get into all the different areas of your life. Are you greedy for the influence that you have at work? Is that a greedy thing for you? You want everybody to be influenced by you. Okay, and so... What are you doing with that? Are you just trying to increase the barns that hold your influence? Are you trying to increase the size of your house? Are you trying to increase how many cars you have? Are you trying to increase? Just think about it for a second. It's not, it's not sinful to own stuff, but what's the reason that we have a lot? And we all in this room have a lot. So here, imagine yourself, you're in this situation with Jesus. No, imagine we're in this situation with Billy Graham because Jesus is with many thousands of people. That's what it says right ahead of this passage. He was with many thousands of people. Now, there was a little over 610 people here um, last week. So we don't even know what that number looks like because we're not in a crowd with him, okay? Jesus is with many thousands of people. And he's like, brothers and sisters, imagine it's Billy Graham. Brothers and sisters. I want to talk to you about salvation. And all of a sudden, this is Billy Graham. 
be quiet. All of a sudden, this junk guy jumps up and says, Bill, Bill, tell my brother to share the inheritance. <coughs> Can you imagine being that guy? You're at the Billy Graham crusade, and, and Billy Graham's getting ready to lay out the plan of salvation. You're like, hey, before you go anywhere, my brother, that guy, that yellow belly scoundrel right there, he's taking it all. He's taking too much. He's getting the lion's share. You tell him, Jesus. You tell him, Billy Graham. You tell him to share it with me. Billy Graham be like, second row, third guy in. Get that guy out of here. You know, he's, he's wrecking things. Get, I, mean, I don't know what Billy Graham would actually do, but I'm thinking the ushers would come running. Literally, the ushers would come running, and they would haul him out. We're not having that. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus says, okay, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. All right, pal, let's deal with it. The problem is Jesus doesn't do what the guy wants him to do. Did you notice that? Say, yeah, well, Jesus, you know, kind of called him out. No, 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 remember, Jesus heard the man, but he talked to his disciples. He heard the man, well, who made me an arbiter between you two? Here, let me tell you, let me give you guys a teaching. And I want you to notice this because of what I see going on in the church in America. But I want you to notice this. Jesus takes this guy sitting right there, and I'm, I'm just making him sit right there, but makes him, he's sitting right there, Lord, tell my brother to split the inheritance. And he's like, man, who made me an arbiter between you? And then he's saying to his disciples, in essence, look at this guy. Be on guard against all kinds of greediness. He's pointing to that man right there when he says it. Not with his hand, but he's directing their attention. Do you see the greediness? This is not going to get this man. He calls this man out to thousands of people. Now listen, if you're in a church setting and somebody does something like that and your pastor does that, what do you do? You're like, oh, that's not nice. It's not nice the pastor calls him out. That's wrong. Spanked him right on the behind right there. That, church people don't do that. If you were a good pastor, you'd let people just walk all over you and it'd be all right. Yeah. You just let that go. Let people do whatever they want. Let them sin. Let them have a good time. Besides, I mean, because there's grace. And we're not supposed to judge. Funny, because Jesus said, stop judging wrongly and start making a right judgment. Well, you can't make a judgment without making a judgment. What I'm saying is Jesus calls this guy out right there and, and, and we're not sure that the church should be doing that. It's exactly what the church should be doing. When there is wrong going on, they call it out and they say, listen, this needs to stop. You can't do this together. And, and, and that's why we have people bouncing around all over the place like, wow, he said something that I, I don't agree with them theologically. Well, what is it you don't agree with theologically? Usually when I talk to people, it's sin in their lives. And it's like, Wow. Jesus called the guy out right there, and we're like, no, shh, no, don't say a word. Anyway, so Jesus does this. Let me ask you this. How big of a family problem would you have to have that you would come in here on a Sunday morning, and right when the sermon starts, you're like, Pastor Joe, my brother that lives in Illinois is visiting today, and I really think you should tell him in your message to split the inheritance with me. Crazy, isn't it? Absolutely nuts. But guess what? I have had people walk into this church right here and tell me that I needed to let them have the microphone today because they needed to share their testimony. Never met them before a day in my life. 
This older woman walked in, sat down right next to me during worship. I'm like, Jesus, here I am to worship. I love you. And all of a sudden, this voice over here says, uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor. And I'm like, yeah, I'm worshiping. And, uh, and she says, I, I just want to share. Hey, I have an incredible testimony. Man, that's great. Jesus has done incredible things in my life. That is awesome. You need to let me go up there and speak. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Ever. If I give an open mic call, it is an act of God, the Holy Spirit. To the point that if I say on a pulse, hey, put a microphone up there, the staff will say to me, are you sure about that? Because you'll put a microphone up here and you'll say, listen, we're going to testify to Jesus. But there's so many people in here. Listen, just keep it to 60 seconds. Just keep it to a minute and do that. The first person will go about four minutes. The next person will go about 12 minutes. I know this is how it goes. Pastor, I know you said only a minute, but listen, I have to share this. And this is the one that I hate the worst. And this is how I know this person should not be in front of that microphone. Listen, uh, man, it was hard to come up here. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. Uh, then sit down. If you don't know what you're supposed to say before you get up there, do not stand up. But I will not hardly, hardly ever put a live mic up there because... People fall in love with the sound of their voice. I have actually had a person go, wow, is that what I sound like? And you could just see them falling in love with the sound of their voice over the speaker. So, you know what? It is not like super cool to be up here preaching. I love to speak, but I would rather do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and kick back and let Pastor Isaac do it. You know, you preach, dude. I'm, I'm tired of this. I've been doing it for 25 years now. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to go home. I'll let him wear the weight of this, you know, thing. But, but you get over it within about six months of being the pastor that's the, the preaching and teaching pastor. You really do. And then comes the weight of like, Lord, help me make these words right. Help me make this theology straight. Help me get this in there because people's lives are going to change because of it. Can you imagine a scenario where you would jump up because I've had people walk in and tell me that they preach, so just let them know when I need a break and they'll take over. Never seen them before in my life, haven't seen them since. Uh, I've had people come in and tell me that they're available to sing this morning if I need a song. <laughs> Not going to happen. Uh, hey, and what about the guys team today? Huh? Can we do that? What about the guys team? Woo! Women, if you're listening, just go ahead and take a break. we got this covered for the next couple of weeks. It's all right. These guys know what they're doing. Now, don't say that. Jesse is going to have my hide if I put that out there. So don't put that part out there. All right. Um, I've had a pastor come in and name drop my friends all to me and say, um, the pastor said that I could use your church to uh, um, launch a revival in Richmond. It's like, serious? He said that. That guy's not my friend anymore. Because <laughs> like, no, I did not say that. It's not going to happen. All right. It's crazy what happens when you're not in the building um, and things are going on. It's also crazy what happens. You know what? I've also sat in a room with five millionaires. I know for a fact that they're millionaires. I know that factually. I've sat in a room with five millionaires, all historically older, challenged people, okay? All of them fighting over the inheritance of the poorest member of their family. Five millionaires fighting over what's going to equate to $1,500 per family. So that's all it's going to be, $7,500. That's all. And these people all came to me and said, Pastor Joe, tell 
that brother that inherited the lion's share to split the inheritance with us. And I said, come to my house. We'll talk. And we left, and things got sewed up. But it's absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Listen, rich people can be Christians. They really can. All rich people are not thieves and crooks. Some people are where they are because they've worked for it, earned it, and did it. And Jesus made that clear in his last statement. Having money, having things, having prosperity is not a sin. He says this is how it will be to people that store up for them things, uh, store up things for themselves, but he says is not rich toward the things of heaven. So the goal is whatever we're doing, are we rich toward the things of heaven? Are we? Would you consider yourself rich? Because I've asked that question off and on again for 25 years, and 100% of the people I've asked it of said no. And I have asked that question of multimillionaires, not just millionaires, multimillionaires. And they will say, no, 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 I'm not, we're not rich, we're not wealthy. And then their wife will say to me, do you know that there are still people out there that buy cars on payments? Do you know that? And I said, yes. <laughs> Because I just bought a pickup truck and the payments were going to last five years. <laughs> there are people out there and they'll still tell you they're not rich. And so when we're talking about the idea of being rich toward God and what's our relationship to having things, let me touch money for just a second here. First thing I want to share with you is money's not going to solve your problem if you can't handle what you've got now. I'm telling you straight up, write this down. Money. More money will not solve your problem if you can't handle, if you are not faithful with what you have now. And I'm not talking about faithful in giving to the church. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you are not faithful with what you've got, I can tell you 100%, you're not going to end up with more. And it's not going to solve your problem. Let's walk through this. People are always telling me, if I can just get to here, if I can just get to there. I used to live life thinking, if I could just get to this spot, if I could just get to this income, if this would happen, then I'll do this. Listen to me, then is never going to come because it's a heart issue. It is a heart issue. Then is never going to come. Did you know that statistically people that uh, win the big giant lotteries are absolutely bankrupt within five years? Multi-millions of dollars and at the end of five years, they have no money left. They have some possessions, but then they can't keep them up. So go ahead and buy your $2 million house because you won $50 million. In five years, you don't have any money, and now you've got to pay the taxes on a $2 million house, and you have to go get a job. See? I was reading an article and it said this, winning the lottery is a long shot, but holding on to the money is the real challenge. One study of Florida winners... 70% of them had spent every last dime of that jackpot within five years of winning it. Every last dime. The money did not solve the problem for 70% of the people that got it. The article went on to say, ultimately, whether winning turns out to be a dream come true or a total bust, all comes down to how savvy the winners are when it comes to managing this money. Lack of money is not their problem. They have a heart problem no matter how much they have. If they have a lot, they have a heart problem. If they have a little, they have a heart problem. If they don't deal with the heart problem, it does not matter how much 
you have. Want me to prove it to you? Statistically, America spends 103% of its income. How on earth can you spend 103% of your income? You know what the answer to that is? Plastic. Credit card. Let's do this thing. Let's get it going. Listen to me. Credit cards aren't evil. They're not evil at all. They are a tool. Money is a tool. It's like my hammer in the garage. If I use that tool correctly, I can build something. If I use it incorrectly, I can tear something down. You ever seen somebody that said, hand me a hammer, and you say, I don't have one, I got a screwdriver. They say, go ahead and give me that, and they start whacking a nail with the screwdriver. <laughs> I'm the one that's going, hey, 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 that's not a hammer. Well, I don't have a hammer. I'll go to Lowe's and get one. But don't use the screwdriver like a hammer. Don't use your money to replace your heart. Change your heart and your attitude about your money. The idea that more more money, more cars, more motorcycles, more dogs. I'm, I'm picking on my life. More house, more whatever it is, more church, more whatever it is, is going to make me happy is a lie. It's a human construct. It's a lie of the devil. The, singus, the single richest man ever to live to date is a man named King Solomon. His treasure is what legends are made of. Conspiracy theories, it's out there somewhere. The Illuminati got it. It's like, man, I want to trip over it one day like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And suddenly I'll be in a cave and it'll all be gold. Wouldn't you love that? it solve all my problems. No, it wouldn't. You'd be broken about five years according to the statistics. Isn't that crazy? Not me, Pastor Joe. I'm sure 70% of those people said the same thing. Not me. Yep, they all say the same thing. I'm, I'm better with my money than they are. Sure you are. But listen to what Solomon says. He who loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. Because when you get silver, then you want gold. If you get one, then you want two. If you get the red one, you want the blue one. See, bigger is better. More is better. Ask a man. How big's the motor in your car? 350. What do you got? 454? Well, I'm going to put a turbocharger and a blower on mine. For men, it's always got to be bigger. It's always got to be bigger. It's got to be better. Nor is he who loves abundance with increase. Nor is he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who, ate them, or who eat them. So what profit is to the owner except to see them with their eyes? The only benefit he's saying is you can see that you own this stuff. Then what? Who cares? People come to me all the time and say, you ride a motorcycle? I say, yeah. I say, what do you got? I say, I, I got an Indian now. Last motorcycle I'll ever buy. That's my commitment to my wife and myself. I'm not going to buy another one. I'll be too old to ride it when I wear this one out. So it's got 27,000 miles on it. I've had it for two and a half years. Two and a quarter years. People are like, wow, that's a lot. Mine has 7,000 on it. It's like there's a difference between a bike owner and a bike rider. See? This guy wants to look in his garage and see his toys. It's a mode of transportation for me. I, I, I'll ride it everywhere. What happens when it rains, Pastor Joe? I get wet. <laughs> if you don't think, you should look out here once in a while. I'm dumb enough to ride it on a day that says it's going to rain 50%. And it rains. And I get wet going home. And, I'm, and it's pouring. And people are looking at their cars like... Man, that was dumb. 
maybe yes, maybe no, but it'll make a sermon illustration later on. <laughs> like today. <laughs> See? It goes on to say, so what does it profit the owner except to see it with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man, a blue-collar man, is sweet, when he, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not perceive, uh, permit him to sleep. Why? There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing to, to pass down. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And what, what um, uh, King Solomon is saying is, listen, if you're storing up all your wealth and, 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 and whatever it is that you've got, and you're saying, and he's saying, and you're not investing it in people, and you're not investing it in the kingdom, and you're not investing it. He says, when you die, there will be no trailer behind your hearse taking all your stuff so you can take it all to heaven, and it only takes one crisis, and suddenly you're out of money. You get it all invested in the stock market, and we have a 1929, 1933, whatever that is, that big crash, and guess what? You, things are going to be empty. You've got it hidden under your bed. You better not whisper that out loud because you don't want to be the guy that everybody knows has it hidden under his bed during a crisis like that in the early um, 20th century. You don't want to do that. Bottom line is, he's saying, I'm telling you right now, King Solomon is saying, I'm telling you right now, having a lot isn't going to make you happy. If it were, then what's with all the people in Hollywood? What's with the suicide rate in Hollywood? What's with the divorce rate in Hollywood? Man, those people got money coming out their ears. They're living the lavish lifestyle as often as they possibly can, and yet they keep getting picked up for snorting coke, for being drunk in public, for crashing their, their cars into telephone poles. Whatever it is, they keep getting picked up. They do not seem to be happy, and they have more than us. Wow. Look at the athletes. You know that the banking industry has a class now. I think it was uh, um, um, Fifth Third or, or Chase Bank, that when, when these athletes get hired to these professional teams and they go from the ghetto and suddenly they're worth like $10 million contracts and they make them sit through a banking class because they start spending money and pretty soon they're upside down in their income. Bad. And so they began to say, okay, we have to have them and we have to put them with a mentor. They put them with a mentor player that's doing it right financially. Those athletes don't seem to be real happy. Look at the singing industry, the music industry in our world. It is ripe with people going from partner to partner to partner to partner, from alcohol to alcohol to alcohol to alcohol, from drugs to drugs to drugs to drugs, from burnout to burnout to burnout to burnout. How many people do you read about in the entertainment industry that are in in-house in um, clinics? I thought all that money was supposed to make them happy. 70% of the people are broke within five years because it's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. Money's not going to solve the problem. It isn't the amount of money that makes the successful one successful. It's keeping it in its proper priority. Let me ask you right now, what are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for? Could you say what you're thankful for? Could you start listening to it? Because we've got to change some things in our lives if we want to begin to get ahead because I believe, here we go, here's a cliche saying, only an attitude of gratitude can take you to a new altitude. And what that means is stop whining. Man, how many of you are going to have something to eat today? You going to have something to eat today? Seriously, you're going to have something to eat today? Okay, the fact that you're planning on having something to eat sets you at filthy rich from a global perspective. The fact that you don't have to think about whether or not you're going to eat 
set you as filthy rich. You may have managed it not well, but you are filthy rich. You do not have to stop and think about what am I going to eat today. You, you know you're going to eat today. And depending on how many football games, you might eat six or seven times. Right? And if they're winning, you might eat some more. Your team, I mean. See? We're filthy rich. We are in here. We drove here in a vehicle. See? We're rich, globally speaking. And we need to have an attitude of gratitude. Second thing is, focus and priority are the actual issue here. Why do you have so much? Why do you have so many friends? Why do you have so many children? Why do you have so many? Why do you have so many? You have so many because God wants you to do something with it, because he wants you to invest it in the kingdom, but you're so busy trying to protect it. The more I have, the more cameras I need, the more security I need, the more worrying I have that somebody might take it. See? Can I park my lawnmower outside, or is somebody going to lift it during the night? I mean, you know, those are the things that go through our mind. And so we've got to stop and say, hey, what's my priority? Jesus said, from everyone who has given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so what I want to know is, what are you doing with what you've been given? If you've been given a little, are you making a difference on behalf of the kingdom of God? Are you using your influence? Are you using your job? Are you using your children? Are you using your, your, your fact that you have neighbors? Are you using that to impact the kingdom of God by, by inviting people to church and inviting them into a relationship to Jesus? Or are you just closing it up and hoarding it up? Because if, if you're not doing that... Let me just ask you, why on earth would God ever give you more? Seriously, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty or snarky. I'm just saying, if God has given you a little and he said, let me see what you do with it, and you're like, it's mine. God, you haven't given me enough. This is not working. I don't have anything. The world, the sky is falling. Oh, woe is me. If that's what you're doing with what God has given you, let me just ask you a straight up question that you should ask yourself. Why on earth would God give you any more? If you are mismanaging what he gave you, he would be crazy to give you more. And that's what that passage says right there. Are you honestly building the kingdom of God with what God has entrusted you with right now? It's hard to focus on the kingdom when you're responsible for a lot. When you have a lot of houses and a lot of money and a lot of employees and a lot of material possessions. And it's not that it's sinful to have those, and I don't think it's sinful at all. If you've got that, bless God and, and thank you, Jesus. What my question is, is it distracting you from building the kingdom are you rich in things of the and again remember i said i don't think you have to live like mother Teresa. all i want to know is are you leveraging who you are on behalf of the kingdom or are you mismanaging it the third thing is we will all face god and give an accounting of our lives we will all face god every single one of us is going to face god we're going to die we're going to leave this planet to be set, uh, to be um um, separated from this planet is to be in the presence of God. Okay, To be absent from here is to be in the presence of God. And we're going to walk in there and Jesus is going to say, hey, let's talk about your life, Joe. Let's talk about what you did. Let's talk about where you went. And he's not just going to pick all the bad things. He's going to say, good job there. You hit that one out of the park. I was so proud of you. That was often. He said, man, I was screaming in your ear over here. Use it. Let it go. Hold it lightly. Whatever that is. You know, hey, what was the deal? I don't understand. He's going to make me give an accounting for every word the scripture says that comes out of my mouth and has come out of my mouth. Every one of us will face Jesus and have to give that accounting. What do you want to say to him? Because I'm telling you, this world is escalating. The evil is getting worse. The ability to hate people online is getting worse. The ability to attack people, the ability... We don't even know our neighbors hardly anymore. The love of most is growing cold. 
And the scripture says the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and those of us that are left are going to be caught up in the air with them. And I'm telling you, we're a lot closer now than we were when I started preaching 25 years ago, and we're a lot closer than when Paul said that very thing. 2,000 years closer to that trumpet sounding. Look at the weather patterns all around us. Look at the wars all around us. These are the beginnings of the birth pains, Jesus would say in Matthew 24 and 25. But we will all give an accounting. You and I are called to be stewards. We want to be good stewards, right? The problem is you have messed up the word steward. We have messed up. I have messed up the word steward to make it mean what I want it to mean. We, it, to us, good stewardship, or stewardship means getting the most for your money. That is not what stewardship, that, stewardship, none of that means stewardship. And stewardship means none of that. It doesn't. Stewardship means a couple of things. It means, first of all, you don't own it. You're a steward. You're a manager. You're not an owner. Stewardship means it's not yours. Do you have that mindset in your life right now? Do you have a mindset that says, what I have is not mine? These are not my kids. This is not my house. This is not my car. Um, every once in a while I say, Lord, your church is leaking. Could you fix the roof, please? <laughs> it's your church, not mine, God. See? Do you understand that you are a steward? It is not yours. Stewardship means you're a manager. Here's the crazy part. Stewardship means the, man, the owner can walk in and say, hey, you're managing my car. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go give it to that family over there. They need a car. You say, well, that would be stupid stewardship. I'm not going to do that. Oh, so you're not a steward. You're the owner. Remember, all good gifts come down from the Father of light. That's what the Scripture says. Am I going to believe the Bible or am I going to believe my heart? Because man's hearts are only evil all the time, the Scripture will say. So what's the answer? Good stewardship. Hold it loosely. Build a dynasty. Go ahead, man. I'm for you. Don't lose sight of your relationship to the kingdom of God. Don't lose sight of your relationship to the mission of God. But hold it lightly. Because sometimes God does say, sell it all, give to the poor, and come and follow me. He does. But we don't want to hear that. But listen to me, if he gave it to you to begin with through your hard work, don't you think he can do that again? Do it his way. Do it his way. Help that family out. Bless those people. Invest and be rich in the kingdom of God. Stewardship is doing with the resources what the owner of the resources say to do with it, even if you disagree, even if I disagree. I haven't been asked to judge the attitude and the merit of the person that owns the things that I'm the steward of. God. I've been asked to be obedient as the steward of God. Paul told Timothy this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Stewardship means a relationship with God. Do you have a relationship with God? Stewardship means reliance on God. Do you rely on God or do you rely on yourself? Your ability to provide, to make, to build. Stewardship means faithfulness to God. Are you faithful with what God's asking of you right now? When we talk about going deeper 2018, remember at the end of the day, it's about what we do, not what we say. And I'm telling you right now that God has a life for you. 
and I, I'm, I'm doing a Bible study on a word called persisos, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out for you because I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher, but I'm telling you right now, that scripture that I read to you early says that he wants to give us this for our enjoyment. Do you understand your father wants you to enjoy the life that he's given you? And if you're not, you need to stop and say, am I doing it his way or my way? Because I'm the guy, remember, nine years I've been up on a stage here or over there saying I'm going to have more fun than anybody else on this planet because I love Jesus and this planet was created for people in a right relationship. God Almighty, so have fun. But be and live obediently. If you're not experiencing that kind of a life, then it's time to be honest with what's really going on in your life. It really is. And these people want to pray for you. I'm going to do the same thing that I did this morning in the first service. I believe that somebody in here is facing um, a health issue, a crisis. It doesn't have to be a big major one, but you're going through something and it's bothering you. You don't have peace in your soul about this, this health issue. And, and the Lord just said, I want to pray for, I want, I want you to pray for somebody. And I don't know if it's people, but I'm going to say somebody. And, and you're just facing something and you're not passing it around, but you just want prayer. You're, just, you're kind of tired of it. it. It's taking your peace away from you. Can we pray for you? You come to your feet, and these people want to pray for you, okay? That's, that's an invitation. Get up on your feet, okay? See how I did that? I'm a professional. You come to your feet, and then let these people pray for you, okay? We're going to sing this song, but you come to your feet. If you're facing that health issue, if you're facing that health issue, and, 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 and we need to pray for you, let's do that today. Now, aside from that, if any place during this message there's something going on that you're like, oh, I don't want to hear this today, we definitely need to pray for you, okay? Because Jesus loves you, not because you're bad. Because God wants for you, not because he wants to take something from you. Give, give the heaven a chance to fall down on top of you today, okay? Just come on up here.